Today's episode is brought to you by the American College of Lifestyle Medicine and is part of our Partner Spotlight series. Lifestyle medicine is a medical specialty that uses therapeutic lifestyle interventions as a primary modality to treat chronic conditions including, but not limited to, cardiovascular diseases, type 2 diabetes, and obesity. Lifestyle medicine certified clinicians are trained to apply evidence-based, whole-person, prescriptive lifestyle change to treat and, when used intensively, often reverse such conditions. Applying the six pillars of lifestyle medicine, a whole food plant predominant eating pattern, physical activity, restorative sleep, stress management, avoidance of risky substances and positive social connections, also provides effective prevention for these conditions. Combining the power of lifestyle medicine with the time and relationship-based practices we have in direct primary care, lifestyle medicine can truly change our communities for the better. Direct Primary Care is an innovative, alternative path to insurance-driven health care. Typically, a patient pays their doctor a low monthly membership and, in return, builds a lasting relationship with their doctor and has their doctor available at their fingertips. Welcome to the My DPC Story podcast, where each week you will hear the ever-so-relatable stories shared by physicians who have chosen to practice medicine in their individual communities through the Direct Primary Care model. I'm your host, Marielle Conception, family physician, DPC owner, and former fee-for-service doctor. I hope you enjoy today's episode and come away feeling inspired about the future of patient care, direct primary care. Today's guest, Dr. Megan Grega, is a family medicine-trained physician who is passionate about incorporating the pillars of lifestyle medicine into her community both local and beyond. She is co-founder and chief medical officer of Kellen Foundation, a nonprofit that provides community-based healthy lifestyle education and resources for individuals and families. Dr. Grega spent several years as a medical officer in the United States Navy, attaining the rank of lieutenant commander before resigning from active duty service. She has been a staff family physician at Hunterdon Medical Center, the director of Women's Health Services at Lafayette College, and is currently the managing director of Lantrasant Retreat and Wellness Center, the home of Kellen Foundation. She is a member of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine Speakers Bureau and frequently lectures on the topics of lifestyle medicine at colleges, universities, hospital grand rounds, medical residency programs, and community forums. Mentoring residents, dietitian, and nursing students is one of her passions as well. She is honored to serve as adjunct faculty for the St. Luke's University Health Network Anderson Campus Family Medicine and Internal Medicine Residency Programs. She's also clinical assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine for the Lewis Katz School of Medicine at Temple University and is a faculty advisor for the Medical Student Lifestyle Medicine Interest Group there. She is a member of the True Health Initiative Council of Directors and serves as a member of several national task force groups dedicated to the expansion of evidence-based lifestyle medicine services. Dr. Grega is also a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians, a fellow at the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and is board certified in both family medicine and lifestyle medicine. She is also the proud chair of this year's American College of Lifestyle Medicine's annual meeting, which will be held in Orlando, Florida, November 13th through 16th. This year's theme will be Redesigning Healthcare Better, and it's a call to action to create a future where lifestyle medicine is offered as the first affordable and accessible therapy for non-communicable diseases. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Grega. Thank you, Marielle. I'm so happy to be here. This is awesome. I'm very excited for our conversation today. 
This is so timely before the ACLM conference happens in November for our audience to really hear another take on lifestyle medicine and how DPC is a perfect model to incorporate lifestyle medicine because of the time we have with our patients. So Dr. Grega, can you please start us off by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about how you got into lifestyle medicine? Oh, I would love to. And I I do have to say, I'm so thrilled to be um, doing this along with Dr. Amy Meckley, because she has just been an absolute pioneer in lifestyle medicine, as well as with DPC. And she definitely has an amazing practice that has been able to integrate these these practices, these lifestyle medicine um, strategies. So as far as for me, I am a family doc and I started out in pretty much traditional family medicine. I, you know, went to medical school, residency, actually did some time in the military as a Navy doc. And then I was in civilian kind of, you know, hospital owned practice. And what I found was that even though I was doing all those things that we're all taught to do, you know, evidence-based medicine and consensus guidelines and things, that I was still seeing my patients struggling with hypertension that was getting worse, diabetes that was getting worse, you know, and especially the kiddos. Um, It's one of the things that we're lucky with family medicine that we get to see the kids too, but you get to see the whole family and you can see the trajectory, you know, like from when they're young to kind of where they're headed with their parents and their grandparents. And I was really frustrated in, you know, at that time I was seeing about 30 patients a day and I really didn't have the time to, make a big difference as far as uh, people's behaviors, their lifestyle choices. So I would always say, you know, hey, eat more fruits and vegetables, you know, don't drink as many sweetened beverages, get outside and play, all that. But it, it wasn't really making an impact. So I was getting frustrated about that. And I was trying to understand there's got to be a better way, right? Because there's other places in the world, like the blue zones, which are places where the entire population, you know, lives longer, you know, more the octogenarian and even centenarians in that population. And then there's other places in the world where medical care is just not as available as it is here. You know, they don't spend as much money on medical care, but they actually have better health outcomes than we do. And as somebody who was trained, uh, you know, in, a, in an Ivy League medical school, I was like, what's going on? <laughs> How is it that we spend so much money and our outcomes are not the best? You know, unfortunately, some of the worst in our in our kind of like reference nations. So I started looking into, you know, what what is the common threads of these places where people live longer, healthier, spend less money? And a lot of that turns out to be the pillars of what lifestyle medicine talks about. And I'm sure Dr. Meckley talked about like what those, what those are. But for me as a doc, I said, I am having a really hard time doing this within my, my kind of traditional fee-for-service practice. Now, this is like 20 years ago. So you know, things have changed over time. But I actually left that practice to try to create the type of medical intervention that I wish I could send my patients to. And that's how I became the co-founder and chief medical officer of Kellen Foundation. But luckily, things are changing in the medical world. And so I've kind of, besides doing the the work that I do with Kellen, I also now am residency faculty for family medicine and internal medicine residency. And actually, one of the things I love is uh, I'm faculty for a medical school, the Temple Lewis Katz School of Medicine, St. Luke's campus. So I'm actually getting to teach residents and medical students how to integrate these lifestyle medicine concepts into the type of practice that they're going to do. And I feel like there's, there's, it's a big, um, it's a big spectrum because you have to be able to do this stuff out where people live, like kind of where they live, work and play out in the community, but also you need the physician and the, and the healthcare team to help guide this. And that's where I think DPC is just a phenomenal model for this because you have the time 
And you can do stuff out in the community if you want to. You know, you can do walk with a doc. You can do cooking classes. You can talk to patients in your office more. So I feel like this is a perfect model for integrating lifestyle medicine. And it's definitely made me more passionate about getting up and being a doctor every day. Incredible. And I love that ability to look at your practice and then the ability to change it. Just like we are in DPC, you've done that through your work and through your involvement with doctors who will soon be hopefully DPC physicians or people really (laughs) focusing on lifestyle medicine and confident to be able to incorporate lifestyle medicine in their practice. So Mm -hmm. when you know that you have the time or as you're teaching other people to incorporate lifestyle medicine into their patients' lives, how do you think about the incorporation itself? What are your strategies to really start talking about and developing a plan around lifestyle medicine for patients? Oh, that's an excellent question. And I would go back to thinking about how we all are trained as doctors. You know, we're trained on medications and procedures, and those are important. We definitely need those. But I'll give you an example of therapeutic dose, because we think about therapeutic dose with our medications, right? Or with our procedures. So I often say to my medical students or my residents, If you have somebody who's coming into the ER and they're in florid congestive heart failure, you know, they're hypoxic, their pulse ox 88%. If you take 10 milligrams of oral Lasix and you just rub it on their skin, is that going to make a difference? No, you know, like they're not going to get better from that, but it's not because Lasix doesn't work for congestive heart failure. It's that you didn't give it at the correct dose. You didn't give it the correct route. You're probably going to need more than one dose, you know, for it to work. So it's the same thing when we think about lifestyle medicine. And when we think about behavior change in general, you need to have the correct and appropriate therapeutic dose for the problem at hand. So if you have somebody who's coming in and they're like, Hey, I'm in pretty good shape still, you know, I'm doing a little bit of physical activity, but you can see that they're starting to get into that kind of pre-hypertension range or stage one hypertension. They don't need quite the same amount of therapeutic dose that somebody who's like, Oh my goodness, they have an A1C of 11 and you know, their kidney function is already really, really damaged. That's a more, um, significant therapeutic dose. But when we, when we, to to start with that and then look at, okay, how do you deal with the patient? Who's like right in front of you or the person who's right in front of you? Well, kind of like we all do with the, with as being family docs or primary care docs, you have to do some motivational interviewing and and patient shared decision-making to find out where is the patient And what is it that they want to or feel that they are able to change? And so you help them go through kind of those stages of change. Are they pre-contemplative, contemplative, all that stuff? And how confident are they that they can make the change? And once you can, and and you can sort of talk to them about, hey, I can see there's some issues with your health that you're concerned about. I'm a little concerned about too. There's things that we can do from a medication standpoint, but there's also some really amazing things that would be very effective from a lifestyle standpoint, from a, from a health choice standpoint. So can we talk about that a little bit? And then once they say yes, and you say, okay, these are, these are some of my thoughts, but how do you think this might work into your life? What would you be willing to start working on? And I always want to, if patients are ready, then we talk about a smart goal or some sort of nutrition prescription or physical activity prescription. But I also like to send people home with homework, even if they're not ready. Like if they're, if they're not ready to make a change and they're like, I got to think about this. We don't have that much time in our, in our interactions in the office to be able to go through the entire like evidence base of why this is going to work or what they should do. So have some podcasts, have some TED talks, have some nutrition dot, uh, nutritionfacts.org websites or 
I like insight timer for meditation, but there's a bunch of them out there. Like have some little links that you can give your patients in that after visit summary that they take home and say, Hey, you know, we talked on this, we, we touched on it. And I think this is something that could be really helpful for you, whether it's nutrition, physical activity, stress management, any of that stuff. But why don't you go home and, and listen to this and let's have a follow-up appointment in a week, two weeks, you know, whatever you think is good for that patient. And we'll talk about what you learned and what you thought about it, because that way you can stepwise over time, start to shift people's behavior where they're kind of an active participant in learning about it. And then coming back and talking to you about what their questions are or what they think they might be able to do. And I've seen some amazing progress with people in this way that you are doing small chunks of intervention over a relatively long relationship timeframe, which is perfect for DPC and, and primary care in general. And you can make big changes without going like right at the beginning and being like, you have to change everything about your life. You know, like that's not going to work. And nor do we have time to get into all of that. So small bites, give them homework, have them come back, talk about what the next steps are. I love your examples there, especially the Lasix and rubbing it out on the skin, but also the fact that you address this as a therapeutic dose, because especially as physicians, you know, we are trained to understand therapeutic dose, but that's a very different way and a very powerful way to look at lifestyle medicine. Now, in addition to talking to patients, I want to ask you about how you train future physicians and current physicians to be able to empower their patients in such a way. And so when you mentioned that you're involved in the medical school and the residency program and the Kellen Foundation, can you share how your involvement in those associations are enabling you to teach more people the art of lifestyle medicine and how to incorporate that in everyday primary care? Yes. And I think one of the key things, you know, we know burnout is a big issue with physicians and, you know, there's a lot of things for, for healthcare providers in general that one of the most important things about lifestyle medicine is kind of walking the talk. Now you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be having everything, you know, awesome. But I, I think of it this way too, that if uh, unfortunately physicians as a group are not the healthiest group in the United States and, you know, they have like double the rate of suicide, I believe, as the, uh, than their regular population. And so in a lot of ways, we aren't, we aren't caring for ourselves. Like we're caring for our patients because that's what we, that's what we do. That's what we're trained to do. We feel like everybody else has to come first before us. And obviously if somebody's coding, like they need to come first, like what's going on with you it doesn't come first then. But if we do this chronically over the course of our career, we get burnout, you know, depersonalization, all that stuff. So one of the wonderful things about lifestyle medicine is in a, in a really real way, you kind of need to do some of this yourself because that gives you the um, kind of credibility when you're talking to patients and you can say, yeah, I know it's really difficult to eat this way. Sometimes if you don't have time, uh, it's not as convenient as just going through a, a drive-through, but Hey, how about, this is what I do. I batch cook on one of the days that I have time. I make my big batch of oatmeal that I'm going to eat all week for the mornings. I make it at one time and I just have it in the fridge and it's just as easy to microwave that as it would be to, you know, try to go through a drive-through. It's probably quicker. So you have some, some tips and tricks and same thing with uh, physical activity or sleep or social connection. If you yourself are, are working on it, doesn't mean you have to be perfect. And I've had uh, residents who are like, do I have to be completely vegan to be a lifestyle medicine doctor? I was like, no, first of all, it's not vegan. It's whole food plant-based because vegan just tells you what you're not eating. It doesn't tell you what you are eating. And there was a time when I was the director of women's health services at a local college, 
I saw a bunch of young women who they were having all sorts of issues with acne and, and period uh, menstrual irregularities. And they were gaining weight, you know, some of my PCOS and they were like, how is this possible? I'm vegan. And I was like, well, what are you eating? And it was things like soda and French fries and chips, you know, cause those are vegan. Those are not healthy. So when we looked at, look at like, what are we eating? Whole food plant-based means as unprocessed as possible as much whole types of fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, and legumes, whole grains, but it doesn't mean you have to be perfect and never have another thing of meat or cheese or whatever. So that's what I say to the residents and the medical students. I'm like, you don't have to be perfect at this. Talk to your patients about the, the data, first of all, like that it decreases your risk of all these different chronic diseases. And this is what you're doing. And then more importantly for us as physicians, asking what they are currently doing and what they might be willing to do. One of the things I love to do with patients that are sort of like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this is say, can you maybe put a cup of berries in your, in your day, you know, most days a week, or could you maybe uh, have at least before one meal, a green salad with, you know, chickpeas and, you know, whatever stuff that you like, but just adding in rather than taking away, I think is very helpful. So when we talk about how do we engage and kind of embolden the next generation, one of the cool things is if you're practicing medicine this way, you're actually kinder to your own self because you can't be telling other people to do this stuff and then go and not do it yourself. You know, like if every day you're sort of saying like, hey, how's your physical activity or hey, how's your sleep or how's your stress? And we all have, you know, things that sometimes we're doing better at or others. I always say that sleep is one of my ones that I have the hardest time like from a lifestyle medicine standpoint. So give yourself some, some grace about that. But I think that it really excites the younger generation of physicians because, I mean, none of us want to um, kind of live the standard American lifestyle that then leads to the standard American diseases because none of us want to be that statistic. And if you're practicing lifestyle medicine with your patients, you're more likely to also be doing some of that for yourself. And I think that especially with the time that we have built into a direct primary care model, the ability to talk about things that make sense to everyone. There's a great examples out there. Other lifestyle medicine physicians, like for example, Dr. Natalie Gentili in Pittsburgh, she has social media where she talks about her own journey with lifestyle medicine, how it wasn't always in her journey and how she, you know, with two kids, she's able to do lifestyle medicine and then days where she's not able to follow her own two cents. And so the ability to know our patients in direct primary care through a relationship and to have the time to be open with them to say, Hey, you know, I totally failed at my ability to go to, to bed at 1030 tonight. Like I said, I was going to, or whatever. It really strengthens the relationship with their patients, but through that type of relationship, I can easily see how, when you're talking with the future generations that they're like, of course I want to do that in my clinic. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think your point is perfect. It makes us more relatable. Like we're humans too. We might, you know, we're physicians, but we've, we have the same, you know, got to get the kids lunch before they go off to school and all those sorts of things. So one of the things I think is awesome about the DPC model is you could totally go for walks with your patients. And you know, like, so that whole walk with a doc or whatever, you could have exercise times, you could have cooking times together. But I love that social media part they were talking about, because if you're, that's one of the things that we try to do with Kellen Foundation is put up posts of like, what's cooking in the kitchen or what's the Kellen crew doing, you know, out. So it's just helping to almost like give the social norm signal 
that this is a this is a viable, you know, doable way to live. And that goes into um, one of the big things I talk about with residents and medical students is social norms and choice architecture. Social norms is what is everybody else around you doing and whatever everybody else around you is doing, you are way more likely to do that particular thing that everybody else is. And choice architecture is what is the default option in your particular situation. So, you know, when I'm in the hospital over the weekend doing a hospitalist nocturnist shift, what are my options for food? What's my choice architecture? You know, probably not the best when you look at what's available. So that means that I have to overcome that by, you know, bringing my food with me. But the, the point more from the standpoint of our patients and ourselves is wherever you have control over the choice architecture, you know, in your house, in your car, with your friends, like when you have a, when you have a gathering, the more of us that are like sort of pushing the needle on choice architecture to say, we want those healthy choices there, whether it's ability to use the stairs, whether it's about ability to, you know, like have a break during the day to get up and go for a walk or, you know, the food is a big one. But actually, I think um, social, the, the concept of sleep, stress, and social connections, it's all wrapped up into that too, about people sometimes maybe always saying yes to everything, even though they really need some downtime or they really need some, you know, like time to reset. If we change the social norms and the choice architecture around us, it just becomes a lot easier to make those healthy choices. And so I'm trying to inspire the next generation to not be content with what we have bequeathed them, but to make their own choices and help change those social norms for their patients. As you've inspired the audience of this podcast, you mentioned have a few resources for your patients to go to. What are resources that you recommend in terms of if physicians are wanting to do more lifestyle medicine learning or get exposure to lifestyle medicine resources? What are your go-to resources that you recommend? Well, that, that brings us to the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which has definitely become my tribe. I, I did not start out as a lifestyle medicine doctor. I started out as family medicine, but I was already kind of moving in the direction of what has now become what, what we call lifestyle medicine. That it wasn't what it was called back then. And then when I found the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, I was like, oh my gosh, these people are my tribe. Like these are the same, they're, they're all on the same page with the with what we want to do with patients, what we want to do for ourselves. And so that is a phenomenal place to go for resources. Some of them are for any anybody going on the website. Another, then there's others that are members only resources, but we have a lot of patient facing resources, handouts that you can use with your patients that, um, you know, about all six pillars, the sleep, the nutrition, the substance use, all that stuff. We also have some toolkits for things like shared medical appointments and for like employee wellness and you know women's health and all sorts of different type reimbursement, which you guys actually probably for DPC don't have to worry about as much because you've got that figured out. But uh, there's there's also the member interest groups at American College of Lifestyle Medicine. So there's ones you know for peds, there's for women's health, there's for uh, cardiology, endocrinology, uh, family medicine, all these different primary care ones that you can find like-minded people that are doing these things across the country. And we have like a, a social connect, it's called ACLM connect, but it's like a message boarding sort of thing where you can post your question to the group and then all sorts of people will answer back like, oh, this is what I'm doing or you know, check out this website or this is what, what I've done at this conference. So when you're looking for tools and resources, I think First, you have to figure out, because you don't want to go too crazy all at once. Then you don't know what you have to, to give out. You're just like, oh my gosh, I've got all this more stuff. But think about like, what is it that I always wish that I could reach for when I'm talking to a patient? Is it 
a food frequency questionnaire? Is it a screening test for well-being? Is it a way to, to kind of message physical activity in a way that's very concrete and, and like a physical activity prescription? And then go on the American College of Lifestyle Medicine website. There's some things that you can find without being a member, but once you become a member, there's a whole library of stuff that opens up. And then the other thing I would say is there's also webinars there. And then my favorite is the American College of Lifestyle Medicine annual meeting. So that's coming up in November of this year. It's November 13th through 16th. Uh, it's going to be down in Orlando, Florida. There's actually, it starts November 12th with the, the pre-conference workshops. And that is a phenomenal place to learn and also network, find other people that are kind of doing very similar things and can give you some guidance and also just get inspired with all the things that are happening across the country. So those are, those are kind of my, my go-to places. Dr. Grega, before we close, is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience today? I think the most important thing is for us to all remember, why did we go into medicine? Like what gave us the joy? Why did we really want to do this? I mean, this sounds very cliche. You hear this all the time, but I think that's the key issue and why lifestyle medicine has become so amazingly popular in a very short period of time. It really speaks to being a healer, all the things that most of us went into medicine to do. And there's other ways to do it. I'm not saying that lifestyle medicine is like the only track, but it complements all the other things that we do in, in family practice and you know, primary care, internal medicine, peds, OBGYN, all that stuff. And so I would just put out there that we are currently functioning in a system that does not support our patients and it does not support us as providers. And that is not a law of nature. That is something that we as a society have created and that we can change. We know that there is amazing evidence about these lifestyle medicine approaches, and it doesn't matter what you want to call them. It's behavior. It's the things we do every day. So if you are a physician in this country, that's amazing. We can do such phenomenal acute care things here. We do that very well, but we do not handle chronic disease very well. And it's not because we're not good people or smart or have the resources, because we definitely put a lot of money into, into healthcare in this country, but it's where we put the money. We put the money into things later down the line when they're really expensive and it's the, you know, the amputation or the gastric bypass or the, the like 12, you know, medications that people are taking every day. We now know the evidence is that we can prevent and treat, but even potentially reverse some of these chronic diseases by helping patients make different lifestyle choices. So the evidence is there. And I often say that we do not lack, um, there's no lack of information. It's a lack of implementation. We're not actually helping people do the things that we know are going to be able to have them live healthier lives, longer lives, you know, more vital, all that good stuff. So I am just issuing a challenge to all of us. And it's one of the things that I say to my medical students and residents too, is like, we can change this system so that it is better for our patients and it's better for us as well. So if we all kind of like use that as our, as our battle cry, I think not only will our patients be healthier and happier, but we will be too. Amazing. And just really hits home, especially for the DPC physicians out there and, and the future DPC physicians out there in terms of really being able to take medicine, what we've learned and to implement it, like you've shared in the way that works best for our patients and ourselves in order to keep all of us healthy. So thank you so much, Dr. Gregor, for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Marielle. And I really hope to see some of you guys at the conference down there in November. I'm the ACLM conference chair this year and I will be there. So come on down and uh, you know, say hi, because I would love to meet all of you. 
next Sunday, look forward to hearing from Dr. Alia Hussein of Creekside Kids Pediatrics in Tomball, Texas. If you've enjoyed the podcast and you haven't yet done so, subscribe today and share the episode with a physician you may know who needs to hear about DPC. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify now as well, as it helps others to find all these DPC stories. Lastly, be sure to follow us on social media. If you're wanting to continue learning more about DPC in the meantime, check out dpcnews.com. Until then, this is Marielle Conception.